Welcome to the Bad Soccer Dad Podcast, where we're asking, why do our attempts to bring out the best in young athletes often bring out the worst in parents? And what would it take to flip the script? Join us each week as we seek to develop better parents, better athletes, and better conversations. Here's your host, Steve Norman. In this episode, I speak with Brad Griffin. Brad is the director of the Fuller Youth Institute, where he develops research-based training for youth workers and parents. A speaker, blogger, and volunteer youth pastor, Brad is the co-author of Growing Young, several sticky faith books, Right Click, Parenting Your Teenager in a Digital Media World, and the series, Can I Ask That? Eight Hard Questions About God and Faith. Brad and his family live in Southern California. Let's jump into the podcast. Brad, thanks so much for making time today. Would you do me a favor and just explain to us what the Fuller Youth Institute is? What what is it and how does it work? Yeah, well, the Fuller Youth Institute, or FYI, we are a research and resourcing arm of Fuller Seminary. And our goal really is to respond to, uh, well, first to listen to and then to respond to the toughest questions of parents and leaders around today's young people. Um, so we do that in a whole lot of ways. We do research, we create resources. Um, we just try to spend a lot of time with folks listening and um, hopefully uh, providing some helpful insight. Brad, what are some of the burning questions that people are, that are bubbling to the surface these days? Yeah, a lot of questions around, um, around technology, media, social media, you know, kind of how to relate to one another in a digital world. Um, a lot of questions around anxiety um, in our kind of high pressure, fast paced culture. Some of that anxiety around academics, often around sports and other activities as well. Um, yeah, those are some of the big ones that we hear a lot from parents and from leaders. So, Brad, talk about the sports arena. Where do some of those anxieties surface? Where Where are you and your team seeing some of those anxiety issues get fleshed out in that particular arena? Sure. Well, you know, <laughs> often it's generated by parents. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, sports in our culture, our society has become... Um, a real high anxiety industry. Uh, and I say industry because, you know, I think a lot of folks have capitalized on the fear that parents, uh, you know, end up, that, that, that is generated for parents, fear around um, our own kids' future, fear around if I don't start, you know, this or that soon enough, they don't have a chance to be something else later, um, a lot of anxiety that gets built around exceptionalism and, um, you know, kids being a certain thing. I, I, I think the whole understanding of youth sports in our culture has really shifted. The paradigm has shifted from something that might be about having fun and learning to be part of a team or even building character to becoming something about um, uh, proving your exceptional worth in some way and becoming famous, um, you know, quite honestly, <laughs> that, and, and so there's a whole industry that's built up around that and it's created a ton of anxiety for kids um, because they, a lot of them sense that, 
you know, their own worth, their own value, their own sense of self has become wrapped up in their accomplishment in adults' eyes and, you know, often in their own parents' eyes. Brad, it doesn't feel like it was always this way. What, what shifted? What happened? Yeah, great question. I am not as much of a historian on this, you know, as I am a researcher trying to understand, um, you know, what we can what we can do now to, to to address it. But I do think I do think some big shifts in um, in society have have driven us this direction. You know, certainly, I mean, part of the thread of the American dream all the way through has been around hyper-individualism. I think that's a big piece. Um, I think the shift towards um, personal achievement, I think the, the highly competitive nature of sports, you know, quite honestly, I, I think in the, in the TV age and, and then the digital age, you know, this has just elevated even more, but, um, Sports performance as a way that we entertain ourselves, um, y- you know, the shift from college athletics, especially, becoming more and more a, um, a matter of adult entertainment. And, um, you know, I, I think a shift, too, in just parents perceiving our own success as measured by the success of our kids. And, and I think that has pressed younger and younger and younger in a way that has sort of resulted, it's not only about sports, but sports is one of the, the areas where it really plays out um, that I think has been a cultural shift in, in terms of measuring our worth and our success by the performance and the success of our kids. That's a really profound insight. Brad, talk about, like, talk about some of the fallout. Like, what are the, what are the not worst case scenarios, but what are some of the toxic results of functioning that way as parents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I should say here, Steve, you know, I'm, I'm certainly implicit in all this, you know, I'm, I'm wrapped up in it (laughs) as well as a parent. And, um, I have three kids. They are ages 16, 13, and 10. Okay. Uh, they all play sports. They also, um, I play music. Um, you know, they're, they're involved in a lot of things and, so it's something I kind of watch in my in my own life as well, um, of uh, sort of you know not only how do we get here, but like what, what do we do now? How do we manage this? Um, how do we how do we do this in a way that doesn't create such fallout for our kids? Um, and so I and I do think we see that fallout. I, th- I think we see. Um, I know that there's a rise among teenagers, there's a rise in anxiety, depression, um, a related mental health issues. You know, not all of that, again, not all of that is related to sports, not all that is related to parents. There's certainly a lot that's been built around that in our educational system and, and in our sports systems, really, that, that further that. Um, but we've created anxious kids. We've also created kids, I've seen this recently, you know, uh, um, a kid who was um, really involved in baseball, got picked up by a travel team, baseball became his life, became his family's life. Um, And 
and, you know, and then at 12 years old, he had an injury, a shoulder injury that threw him out for several months. And, you know, it was devastating. It was, it was like his whole life had come to an end. And this is a 12-year-old kid. But, but as his family stepped back, they realized, gosh, his whole identity, our whole identity, had become wrapped up in his baseball career. And he's 12. And, you know, a little time off gave them a, a sense of perspective that they hadn't been able to have when they got really wrapped up in it because it became their community and it was something he loved. You know, it wasn't like they were making him do something he didn't like. Um, but the opportunities to take something that a kid loves and turn it into an, I don't know, I would say an obsession, you know, an unhealthy um, preoccupation at such an early age. It has all kinds of fallouts. So, so we are seeing, you know, sports injuries on, on the rise because of kids who overplay, kids who play year-round the same sport. Um, we're seeing anxiety and depression, as we mentioned. You know, I, I think we're seeing parents who quite honestly can't afford the lifestyle of travel sports, throwing everything into it. Um, you know, I've, I've read pieces and, you know, and seen um, interviews with parents who say, yeah, we're really not saving for college because, you know, we're investing $10,000, $20,000 a year in, in, um, in, in sports um, because of this perceived need to keep up and this fear, really, of if we don't do the next level, then our kid's going to miss out on an opportunity. So how has your family navigated that complex terrain, Brad? Yeah, I, we certainly haven't done it perfectly. Um, you know, one of our, we try to keep a, a pretty low-key philosophy around sports. And i got to tell you, I've been a youth sports skeptic as well <laughs> because I spend so much time studying what's going on with teenagers in our, in our society. Um, and I try to spend a lot of time with teenagers. I see so many of the negative effects that in our own family, we've tried to keep it pretty low key. And what I mean by that is, um, um, trying to keep sports in its place as one aspect of our lives not the, the central or controlling aspect as um, something we can, it's okay to evaluate from season to season. It's okay for our kids to evaluate from season to season that choosing to play a sport does not mean that you have to keep playing it for years. Um, that it's okay to experiment with new things and this is part of how we learn about ourselves <laughs> um, and learn about um, you know, not only what we're good at and not, but also learn about our own resilience, learn about our own um, um, weaknesses and shortcomings, areas to work on. Um, we talk about sports as, you know, an opportunity to build, uh, learn a lot of life lessons and um, build some good life skills that those are going to be transferable to other parts of life. Um, so one of the ways we keep it Another way we keep it kind of um, low key is we put a high value on playing local and 
making this a community, uh, a way that we love our neighbors and live with our neighbors. So, for example, um, uh, playing Little League at the park up the street in a not very competitive Little League as opposed to going across town to play in the more competitive Little League or joining a you know travel club team. Uh, again, not that it's a wrong decision for a family to join one of those highly competitive teams. We've just kind of placed that value in our family as, well, this is going to be something that, um, that we do locally, that we do with neighbors, and that's part of life but doesn't, doesn't define our life. Um, and that we can – it's also okay to explore from season to season. I, my youngest is 10. You know, I don't think that he should be forced at 10 to have to specialize – and choose. Um, now, on the other side of that, we do ask them to choose for one season at a time. So we don't double up on sports uh, from season to season. Uh, we've definitely seen a lot of burnout from that. We also, um, uh, we value playing at school. So, for example, I, my daughter's in high school and is a swimmer. Um, you know, there's what well, one of the interesting phenomenon we have seen, and, and I know this varies from community to community, but around here, you know, if you're a good athlete, you get on those specialized teams, and there's this pressure to join elite teams. And so being part of the middle school or high school team is no longer what it was a generation or two ago, where it used to be something really special to be on a varsity team. In a lot of communities, it's the kids who... Um, you know, our, our second or third string who are now on varsity teams because the others have gone to elite teams. And I, I know that's not true in every sport or in every community. But what's interesting, you know, for us at least, is the value of playing on your school team. Um, it's this great opportunity to play a varsity sport, even if you aren't the best kid out there. Um, and there's a ton of value in that and a ton of value in playing local and, um, you know, making that part of your school experience. So I, those are just a few of the ways I think that we're trying to help make sense of sports in our family. And I got to tell you, you know, the better that kid gets them, certainly the more opportunities that come at them. And, um, you know, one of our kids has a lot of opportunities who come at them. Um, and recently that's become a lot to kind of sort out and to process with, with that kid, you know, about making those decisions, what that means for, for them, for our family, for what what it means for what they can't do, what it means, how that's going to impact other things they value, like like participation in church, um, or having a night off, <laughs> or getting to bed at a good time because they got to do schoolwork too. So th- we try to just make that a conversation um, and, and to make it a seasonal one, so that we can sort of evaluate from season to season. That's great, Brad. What it, what does that look like? So, for somebody who's never had a, a family debrief, can you can you give us a template for what it might look like to sit down with with a young athlete after a season and ask questions about what what goals are individually and as a family? Yeah, yeah. I we try to think about it from kind of processing, helping them make meaning. You know, I, I think one of the things that is that can be so valuable about youth sports is that it's a meaning-making opportunity. Um, you know, kids are constantly making meaning of their lives and their experiences. And so let's look for ways to help them make meaning. So, you know, how that might go down in a, 
in a debrief is is just kind of asking some questions about, you know, what were some of the the best and worst parts of that season for you? How do you think how do you think you grew? Um, what do you think? And, and I would say too, we're kind of asking these questions along the way, but at the end of the season is maybe a good opportunity to sort of debrief. You know, what do you think you're going to remember? Um, what are you going to learn from that? Uh, I recently had an experience with my middle daughter who um, she's 13, plays soccer, and she had a season-ending um, playoff game that went really, really poorly. And one of those op- one of those moments when it truly was. Um, I'm not one for blaming the refs for everything, (laughs) but but it was truly one of those moments when you just, it was clearly an unjust situation. And there were some things happening that were ugly on the field and the other team. Uh, There were some things that were, that were just kind of wrong. And, you know, I remember that the car ride afterwards and my, my daughter at one point, she said, you know, we're going to look back on this and we're going to realize that we did our best and that we played clean and they're going to look back on this down the road and they're going to realize they're going to remember that they played dirty. And, um, at some, she said someday they're going to feel bad about that. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty profound insight for a 13 year old who was mind you very upset and had been in tears about this. Um, but I thought in that moment, you know, she was doing some meaning making there. She was doing some meaning making for, um, you know, when I look back on this five, 10 years down the road, I know I'm not going to forget this game, but I'm going to feel good about the integrity that I had playing this game. Um, I, I think those are the kind of, of, of moments we can have with our kids, you know, of what do you think you carry, you're going to carry from this season? What do you wish you could forget from this season? Um, you know, what, what would you want to do again or what would you not want to do again? And then I have the opportunity to look a- ahead and not just automatically sign up for the next thing, but to, to also wonder, um, you know, what do you think is next and what else have you thought about? And especially for kids who still have opportunities to try other sports. Um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I had a high schooler who, um, who started water polo as a high schooler. Um, and, and in some situations that would be considered unheard of, you know, that you would start a new sport that far along, but there was an opportunity and she discovered a sport that she loves, that she loves. And I thought, wow, how risky was that? You know, and and how many kids do we rob the opportunity to try something new? Um, because we think, well, by the time you're 10, 11, 12, you're really kind of set on a sports career that you can't alter at this point. Um, I, I think that's a real shame. So I, I think those are some of the kinds of conversations we can have with our kids. You know, I wonder what else you might want to try, or I wonder if you, keep, if you want to keep playing this. Sometimes kids feel like because their parents have invested so much in a particular sport, they don't have the freedom to try something else because they would be letting their parents down or they would be betraying, you know, an investment that their parents have made. And I think it's on us as parents to keep that door open 
Now, I'm not talking about quitting mid-season. I'm not talking about walking out on a commitment you've made. I'm talking about when the when there's a natural window to reevaluate. Let's make space for that. And let's make sure our kids know, you know, let's do some permission giving so that they have a sense uh, that, gosh, my, my parents aren't so tied up in this that, um, that it's not okay for me to choose something else or take a break. I think there's a lot of wisdom there, Brad. I had a friend who used to work for his brother in a ministry context, and he said, just so that it never got weird, at the end of every ministry season, like every spring, I would voluntarily submit my resignation, and then he could decide <laughs> if, it made, if it made sense for me to keep working there or not. And I, I, I love that idea of parents just putting it on the table so that kids know that it's not implied on the parents' perspective that, hey, you're, you're bound to this uh, as long as you live under our roof. Yeah, yeah. Well, because here's the thing, Steve. I think that... So much of what goes wrong in youth sports is, is when it becomes about me as the parent as opposed to about my kid and what's going on through my kid. Um, you know, it becomes about my anxiety, my need to achieve, my need to prove something, my need to live through my kids or relive something through my kids. And that's where, you know, for us to kind of check ourselves as parents and, and ask, okay, is this is this become too much about me? You know, have I wrapped up too much of my own anxiety or my own sense of accomplishment? You know, quite honestly, it feels good when our kids do good, right? It, you know, we, we, we can be proud of our kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can quickly turn to something that is it's unhealthy and, and then, you know, eventually toxic, when we really start living through our kids and it happens to the best of us. Brad, talk to me about some preventative maintenance. If I'm a, if I'm a parent whose kid is just starting to get into a sport, how, how can I ask some of those screening questions of myself before their journey begins so that it doesn't take a hard left later when I'm living vicariously through a 12 year old athlete? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think little reminders. Most of us need those little reminders. So, you know, I've appreciated parents who've who've said, like, before every game, I just say to myself, "It's just a game." <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a game. It's it's just youth sports. You know, whatever it is, right? It's just baseball. Um, it's just little league uh, that that we help put it in its place, and and we sometimes we need those mantras for ourselves, just a reminder, you know, or um, the reminder, hey, this isn't this isn't about me, this isn't about me. Um, the reminders of um, what our kids need most from us. So there was a study a few years back of collegiate athletes, um, division one collegiate athletes. And, you know, they asked them to reflect back to their uh, experiences growing up and what their, what their parents said and what they wish their parents said. And, you know, what was fascinating is hearing that the ride home after a game was also often the worst part for these athletes. Now, these were the athletes who made it, right? These were the ones who, who eventually achieved the kind of success that a lot of parents hope for. And they said, you know, that could, have, that could be the worst or the best thing, um, the, the ride home. 
And often it was the worst because parents would launch right into what they could have done better. Or even praising their abilities that, you know, the kid was already feeling a little bit insecure about or kind of reinforcing for their kids, I love you because you're so good at this. And the words that kids most wanted their parents to say were simply, I love to watch you play. I love to watch you play. That's what they wanted to hear from their parents. And so I remind myself of those words, you know, and I got to tell you, it's hard when I get in the car, there's a whole lot of other things I want to say. And of course, sometimes we have other conversations, you know, I think it's great to ask questions like, how'd you feel about that? Or how are you feeling? Or how'd that go for you? Right. That we're helping them process, but also from our perspective to reinforce, Hey, I love you. And it's fun to watch you out there. Um, that our, our, our kids need to know that our approval of them isn't so much wrapped up in their great performance. Um, you know, sometimes they're going to have a bad day, a bad game, because they're off. You know, sometimes they're going to, if they're, if they're adolescents, their brains are coming unwired and getting rewired. You know, their their brains don't communicate with their legs very well. <laughs> you know, somebody was asking recently, like, why are these girls falling down on the field today? You know, and I'm like, well, because their legs are 13-year-old legs and they're growing at crazy rates that are out of proportion. And their brains are relearning how to communicate and how to tell their legs what to do. They've got so much pressure on them at this moment when they're, you know, everything is changing. Let's just find ways to loosen the pressure. So I, I, I try to think about that too, you know, just how can I make this less pressure on my kid? Now, of course, there are some kids who, you know, they're not caring enough and, and maybe they're not, um, they're not they're not really that invested in whatever's going on. And, and, you know, quite honestly, I think we might need to step back and wonder and even ask with them, like, gosh, is this your best thing? Right. You know, not every kid, not every kid is made to play sports. Um, and that's okay. Right. And that's not okay for some parents. So for us to just kind of con- continue to sort of check ourselves and when we, and to have somebody in our lives who, who checks us also, you know, I think making friends who, um, with other parents whose kids play sports, I find that I'm a better sports observer on the sidelines when I've got somebody there who I know um, I can have a more casual conversation with um, because it keeps me, um, keeps me from getting too worked up about what's going on on the field. So, you know, think of what is it that helps you? What is it that helps you not get too worked up? Um, and, and to kind of tap into those things. Brad, I want to go back to that line where you just, that beautiful, simple, magical line, I loved watching you play. And I wonder how maybe our warped view of God spills over into our parenting. Because I think 
it, many of us grew up in a context where if if God was giving us a, a ride home from a particular day, he would rattle off all of the missteps, all of the mistakes, all of the failures, all of the wrong answers. And I know just in, in my own journey and trying to re-anchor my spiritual identity and reorient myself towards an appropriate view of God, to hear God say to me, I loved watching you play, it feels foreign. It sounds a little abstract. Yeah. You know, most of us are telling ourselves a story um, that's, a, that's a warped story. And we fundamentally don't believe we're lovable. <laughs> we fundamentally believe that our value is measured by our performance, by our success, by our um, ability to get it right. And most of us feel like we're getting it wrong most of the time. And especially when it comes to parenting, you know, I, I know that I feel like I'm blowing it every day in some way with my kids. You know, I don't go to bed most nights feeling like a parenting success <laughs> by, by, by any means. And, and certainly, you know, I need, I need a God in those moments who I hear whispering to me, um, you're okay. Right uh, underneath that, there's there's grace, there's restoration, there's unconditional love. There is a sense of um, of you, you are enough, and today you were enough, and and it, and we got to release that and move on. And I want my kids to know that. You know, one of the things I pray over my kids at night is that they will know that they're loved and that they'll know that they're never alone. And I think that's not the story most of us are telling ourselves. Um, telling us we, we got to do better. Um, we believe a God who's too small. We believe a God that is not the gracious, restoring um, embracing God of scripture, you know, the, the, the God of, of, of Luke 15 and those stories about what was lost becomes found. And, um, this God who's like a dad welcoming the son home and you know, like a woman who's rejoicing over finding this lost treasure. Um, th- these are the kinds of images, um, that Jesus paints for us in scripture of this God who would embrace us as we are, even in our worst moments. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, before we can try to communicate that kind of God to our kids, we got to believe it for ourselves. And um, that's not the story we're telling ourselves. Brad, that's just such a great gift to have that reframing lens that we could say, all right. Um, trying to root anxiety out of my kid's life is a noble endeavor, but I got I got to start with maybe an interior look and say where where are my anxieties, where are my deep seated fears, where are my insecurities getting the jump on me, and how does a clear view of who God is and who God says I am um, get me to a different space than the one that I keep settling for? Yeah, and you know what I, I would also say I, I would add that um, I don't think we work that out best alone. I I think we have a real crisis of, of loneliness in our society right now and it's impacting adults and certainly impacting our kids um, because of the way it's impacting us. But I think, 
I think we take those feelings um, into isolation way too much, you know, the, that sense of not being enough. And I think one of the best ways to work it out and um, to begin to kind of embrace a new story is through community, through finding some other people we can be honest with, be real with, um, you know, other people we can even laugh with about our own parenting failures. Um, you know, people who can uh, love us for who we are and begin to sort of peel back some of those false stories that we believe. And uh, I think there's a real desperate need right now for that kind of community, for those kind of relationships in our lives. I, I agree wholeheartedly and I appreciate your encouragement. It's making me ask some, prompting me to ask some questions of myself and my own mm-hmm. life rhythms and my own family priorities, uh, just to make sure that we're asking the right questions so that we're we're telling ourselves a different kind of story than the one that the dominant cultural script can often tend to dictate for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time, Brad. I appreciate your insights. Thanks for all the great work that you're doing at the Institute. We'll make sure that we put uh, a link to the blog that you wrote about uh, that, that ride home from games. And best wishes to you in the future. Hopefully we can chat again sometime. Yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Brad says so much of what goes wrong in youth sports is when parents think more about what we need instead of what our kids need. And sometimes our kids need us to offer perspective. Here's some questions I want to think about this week. As a parent, what's my pregame ritual to help me get a healthy perspective? What do I need to do or say to get in the right frame of mind before a competition? Brad suggests three statements to consider before a child's game starts. One, it's just a game. Two, it's not about me. Three, it's important for my kids to know their worth does not equal their performance. Win or lose, they need to know that I love them. Brad also says, one of the things I pray over my kids every night is, I pray they know they're loved and that they'll know they're never alone. Even if you're not the praying type, I want to challenge you to try this every night this week for each of your kids. If they think it's weird, you can always sneak back into the rooms and pray it while they're sleeping. Finally, if you're a football dad, a dance mom, a lacrosse granddad, or baseball aunt, please know that I'm praying the same prayer for you, that you would know that you're loved and you're never alone. I want you to know that in spite of where you are and whatever it is that you've done, you matter to God. And as hard as it might be for you to believe it, God loves to watch you play too. Even though you're not always getting life right, God really does delight in you. It even says so in the Bible. The book of Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17 says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Bad Soccer Dad on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.